0: Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Matthew Weldon.
1: And I'm Mary McCleskey.
0: And we are joined today by our friend from Migration and Refugee Services, Todd Scribner. We're going to talk today about polarization. Thanks for coming up to talk to us, Todd.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, hey, sorry, I got it. I'm going to go to confession. Before mass? Yeah. Over at the basilica, so. Oh,
0: so we've got to wrap so can, this up. we have to wrap crank this up like this, right now. Crank yeah. This out yeah. in
1: forty minutes. Yeah. An hour.
0: An yeah, hour. Well, probably. I don't know. Well, I don't an hour is not going to give you time to walk to the shrine. Oh, I'm driving. <laughs> you drive. Yes, <laughs> drive, I drive. drive. <laughs> <laughs> what?
1: It's it's a speed well, issue. If I I can get there and back and get confession <laughs> in in like twenty five minutes if it's real easy. Yeah. Like if it, if there's no lines.
0: Yeah. There's no lines. Yeah. Well, polarization. <laughs> oh, y'all want to talk about yeah, polarization. And the confession
2: actually feeds into it because it's sort of sort of instill a sense of humility perhaps. And polarization might actually be built on an attitude of absolute certainty. You think so position. presumption A presumption of um, yeah of, of certainty. Mm. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm reaching for something here, but
0: well, I've wondered if you engage in some way in if, in examining one's conscience, Examine your conscience and you realize, you know, that you contribute to this polarized environment or you think you may have done something that's contributed or even you have like a habit of thought that does. You know, to what degree, like this kind of gets into like one of the questions I wonder sometimes is is polarization even a problem?
1: Or is your question really, is it a sin? Because I could see where it's, it's maybe the sin of pride. Or the sin of it could lead to being uncharitable or being right, um, right. rage. I mean, certainly we see rage all over social media, which then I think converts into anger and being uncharitable towards others in person. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there are some people that you can't have a conversation with at all because they just become too.
2: Well, what about a sin against, it could be like a sin against almost all of the deadly sins. What about a sin against sloth? Uh, a, or some, you know, where you're, well, you basically become so complacent in your own worldview that you don't take oh, any opportunity see to challenge or to investigate further, to dig deeper, to you know, to explore whether or not you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of sit on the couch, watch whatever political show the is appeals to your third own. Third
1: season of Stranger Things is coming up. Yeah, watch MS1. that, and it, yeah.
2: Or mm-hmm. yeah, or Fox or MSNBC, depending mm-hmm. upon your political affiliation, and just sort of get fed the. Kind of the same regular moral that you affirm anyway. Well, I, yeah.
0: gu- I guess I should say, you know, so that we're on this is this is the USCCB First Freedom podcast. And the reason we are talking about polarization today, one reason is that on our last episode, episode 23, with Lauren McCormick. Lauren McCormick is our advocate on the Hill for religious liberty issues. And we were talking about kind of our hopes. What are some of our hopes for Congress in 2019 and she just mentioned how achieving positive things in Congress is so difficult because of the polarized how polarized politics has become. Um, so so we thought this would be good gives us a good opportunity to talk about this topic in general, which is one that's interested me for a long time. And I think then you're talking about two different things. She was referring to polarization in secular politics, whereas I mean, One of the things we, I think we think about here at the Bishop's Conference, at least as staff, is the issue of polarization within the church. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, what is polarization at all? Sometimes I wonder, I, I say this about like, is it a problem? Because I think whether or not you think it's a problem depends on what you think polarization is. Mm-hmm. Like if you just think of it as deep disagreement, then you're not necessarily by being even using sharp language to disagree with others you're not necessarily doing any doing something wrong
1: yeah i think i think for catholics i see maybe the the i don't know about definition but maybe the source of some of it could be putting your identity as you know whatever your political party is or whatever your leanings you know i'm progressive i'm conservative traditional whatever like putting that ahead of your catholicism right i mean we're we're followers of jesus christ first and I was recently reading the story about the, you know, Jesus was asked by the the Pharisees or the Sadducees or about, you know, well, do you pay taxes or I don't know the exact story. Sorry, (laughs) Catholic, you know, can't (laughs) quote scripture. But, you know, basically his answer was render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Putting it in the context of what do you owe God? Well, everything, Mm -hmm. right? Creator of the universe, creator of you, right? Your savior. And so recognizing like legitimate, you know, yes, we we follow civil laws and we, you know, are good citizens, but ultimately like put it that everything in the context of your faith. So I think when people lose that perspective, I think that that leads to some of the polarization. Like you forget that like my goal in a conversation is not to challenge, you know, convince somebody I'm right. My goal is to like find what do we have in common and to treat that person with respect and therefore treat their opinions Look at their opinions from the light of this is a human person mm-hmm. that God created with their own life, thoughts, will, mind, and to do it charitably.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a um, sort of the building on the the question of relationship between religion and politics. There's a and this is the first step, I think. You know, when one's political Id- identity becomes sort of prior or ascendant above their sort of religious identity that opens the door for political polarization to enter into the church. And there's a a guy, Robert Wuth now, who's wrote this book, Restructuring of American Religion. uh, And it really looked at the way in which religious identity has been shaped over the course of the 20th century. And, um, He basically, you know, if you go back to the early 20th century, the argument that he makes, and it's pretty clear, is that denominational identity was super important. You know, Catholics didn't like Protestants, and particularly, you know, Protestants didn't always like the other Protestants all the time either. Um, And sort of there were divisions along the kind of denominational, largely Christian lines at the time. And in the post-World War II world, to kind of um, just summarize the argument, is that you have the, the decline of denominationalism, as a marker of religious identity. Um, as Catholics began to integrate into the wider community, as they got better you know, better educated, they got better jobs, they moved into the suburbs, they interacted more with Protestants, this kind of denominational am- am- enmity decreased significantly. Partly as a consequence of, of that development, sort of denominational identity declined in its importance. And what took its place is political ideology and sort of political identity became a more important marker of religious identity, Mm -hmm. and this is a large part, uh, you know, as a consequence of what's happened, you know, externally, you know, the debates over, you know, Vietnam, civil rights movement, the emergence of the Christian right, so on and so forth, such that as you move into the 70s and the 80s, conservative Catholics tend to have more in common with conservative Protestants than they do with liberal Catholics Mm -hmm. in terms of the public square. And liberal Catholics have more in common with liberal Protestants than they do with conservative Catholics, mm-hmm. and so there becomes this rift on the center of the church, such that that you you, you have a, a kind of a division even within the church itself. Mm-hmm. And as politics and political you know political life becomes increasingly polarized, which we can talk about, it's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You have kind of a you know increasing divisions between factions of the church that should actually be kind of identified as sort of as a singular example to the world as the church. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of sets the stage for, you know, where Democratic and Republican politics goes. How does that affect, you know, as it becomes more polarized Do Catholics within these kind of situated situate, you know, become more polarized as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the public square.
0: I mean, I read an article a while back, though, that was kind of it was suggesting that the polarization in secular politics was actually not really a problem, because the reason we have it is because the. The parties have become more ideologically pure. It used to be that you could you could be conservative or liberal in either party, where now you basically have each party for the most part represents a more coherent set of ideas. Like it used to be sort of a mishmash and now there, it's just a little bit more it's clear and, and people can join the party that better aligns with their ideology. Mm-hmm. You didn't really see that as necessarily a problem.
2: Yeah, to that point. So the Pew Forum did a, a study. It was several years ago. It kind of points to your what you're saying is that. So this is in 2014, and for about they tracked this for about 20 years. Um, and one of the things that they they saw was a co- increasing divergence in terms of political identity and sort of positioning. And so. In 2014, the the median Republican, sort of your typical Republican, is now more conservative than 94% of all Democrats, and the median typical Democrat is more liberal than 92% of Republicans. Mm-hmm. Whereas in years past, there was not that kind of clear differentiation between yeah, yeah. one's liberal and conservative identities within the parties because there was an admixture kind of mm-hmm. within the party. Um, so I think that's that's clear. That that's certainly something that's happened. I'm not sure that's a good thing though, because I mean it creates a, a very kind of either or right. kind of positioning that could very easily lead to increased enmity between the two kind of parties. There's no there's no room for you know when you have an admixture, there's a lot more room for
0: deal making rec- and deal
2: making <laughs> and sort of sort of navigating these competing interests, but when it becomes kind of pure you know kind of more purity kind of focus between these two parties, it becomes very difficult to reach across the aisle, mm-hmm. you know, particularly on issues that are are deemed kind of existential in nature.
1: Well, I was reading our local newspaper in Virginia, and it's, I don't know, it in the, the, the line that hit me was like, they were talking about the Equal Rights Amendment, right? And the Virginia Assembly refused, had, it was a, refused to pass it, right? All these other states have passed their, whatever, you know, and it was like, refused to pass it, it, making it sound like a bad thing. But we know equal rights amendments usually have, you know, promotion of abortion and promotion of contraception. And so, yes, we're for the equal rights of women, but we're also for supporting mothers and helping them to choose life for their child, you know. So it was just sort of like, how do I where do I go to get the truth about all of the things that are happening in society and in the world, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost, to some degree, it's impossible be- unless you see it for yourself. It's like, who can you trust to give yeah. you the real story, right? And not play to like one polarized agenda versus another, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So here's one a question though that I wonder about with this is the role that the church plays in all of this kind of stuff. I think sometimes there's this idea out there that you run into often that you would expect that if Catholics, especially Catholics who care about political issues, can refer to a common body of teaching, Catholic social teaching, it should mean that we can at least kind of converge. Or at the very least, you can understand what your political opponent, you can understand where they're coming from. That's what you would think. And yet, yeah, I think well, Ca-
1: in an ideal world.
0: <laughs> but sometimes I think that Catholics may be worse because you end up because you can have a theological reason for your political position, which sort of raises the stakes of whatever your your claim is. And so it's not then just about, well, I think this particular legislation would be good for the country. It's, well, in order to be a faithful Christian, you must be supporting this kind of legislation. And if you oppose it, then it must be because you're an unfaithful Christian. or the, You know what I'm saying? So it, mm-hmm. I think, and I don't know, I go... It just kind of depends on the day. Like sometimes I think, oh, Catholics, I, st- I always think Catholics could play a role in ameliorating polarization. I think it's possible. I sometimes wonder, though, if in fact, not only are we not doing good, but only <laughs> actually yeah.
1: sometimes like
0: not only are we just as polarized as the country, but we're not we're, we're less understanding of each other than you would think you would expect this to be
1: well i think we're doing a pretty good job here at the bishops conference of you know like i've seen a lot of um joint statements from committee chairmen, right so just this morning i don't know if you guys saw the the statement that came out about the i'm help me out here because i might totally get this wrong but like something about mercury well we
0: have computers
1: oh oh <laughs> just, get off your so i will uh, i will, your, I will, your, I will <laughs> Your get basketball. off of the
0: um, March Madness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Actually, the family pool. Not that you're gambling, Aaron. Right? <laughs> I'm definitely not gambling. Okay.
0: I'm in four brackets with <laughs> be- with um, with different family members.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, nuclear. It, so it was our um, our pro life chairman, Mercury. And,
2: with the mercury. And, yeah, it levels. was, it was the mercury. Of mercury. Bishop
1: Dwayne and Archbishop Nauman. and so. Well, you you sound like you know what it is. Todd, I only know <laughs> I only know it
2: briefly by the headline. I read it quickly, but I mean it's uh, they put out a statement criticizing or showing expressing concern for the decrease in the official level of mercury levels that are acceptable,
0: you know, within the context. It was of the, the, the
1: envir- EPA. The EPA lowered the United the mercury. States Environmental Protection Agency.
0: A proposed change to the mercury and air toxic standards. So there's a proposed change to the rule. They're not going to regulate how much Strictly. mercury can be dumped in the water so it's obviously right. an environmental concern but
1: for unborn children yes, but... and pregnant mothers mm-hmm. right so i like this because it it combines environmental concerns with precisely the people that are going to be affected by that right so it's just it's a nice combination of what would traditionally be considered like more conservative issue, right, and a more liberal "quote unquote" issue, right. I'm making air quotes with my fingers, right. <laughs> so, I what I'm saying is that we try at the conference to really just we're trying to be we're trying to be Catholic, just yep. yeah. And
2: I think that, good. and I think that, and I think that it shows in more in a more macro level kind of the, the way in which our kind of the conference works is that you know on issues of immigration. And it demonstrates a polarity that's existent within secular politics, but it also demonstrates the efforts by the bishops, I think, to overcome that polarity or at least approach it in a different way. Is that on the issue of immigration, you know, if you're talking about pro-immigration kind of immigrant-friendly legislation in Congress, for example, there is – I'm generalizing here, but there's – it tends to be more – the positions of the bishops tend to be more in alignment with the positions taken by – the Democratic caucus, you know, in terms of, you know, immigration reform, legalization efforts, that sort of thing. And at odds with, generally speaking, the position of Republican leadership, or at least voting members, you know, within the Congress. But then on issues related to the pro-life movement, the positions of the bishops are much more aligned with sort of the Republican caucus. And they're not as so much in line with the Democratic caucus. And so the kind of the bishops can't be set within these kind of polarities from the outset you know, effectively, they're trying to figure out ways to deal with both sides of the aisle on different issues in different ways. So I, mean, I think that's, a, that's an initial kind of recognition that the, the, we can't, as Catholics, kind of be sort of comfortable or satisfied with sort of being positioned within this kind of conservative liberal paradigm, um, because it doesn't match well, I don't think, with the way in which the Catholic Church actually addresses real life
0: issues. I have one comment to that. Or a cha- maybe a, perhaps a challenging question. But first, uh, oh. I want I want to ask mm-hmm. a couple of other, th- or just note a couple of other things. Um, one, I think that the, like what polarization is is just important to s- say from the outset. Oh yeah, we or, haven't
1: yet defined it yet, have mm-hmm. we?
0: Well, I just there's a good there's this book, <laughs> um, polarization in the U.S. Catholic Church. There's one essay in that book. I don't even know why I'm bothering to say the name of the whole book. There's one essay in particular. The though. Mention
1: does not uh, include endorsement of the content. <laughs> yeah. <book. laughs> yeah.
0: But one of the essays notes that polarization is not simply just disagreement, even sharp disagreement with each other. It's when in physics, polarization is like the negation of the other pole, like one pole is by mm. definition the opposite of the other pole. So when you talk about polarization in the context of politics and church politics, what it means, like if I am a highly polarized or polarizing character, it would mean that I've chosen my side or my pole and anything that is identified with the other pole I reject. And I think that's helpful and it gets at the truth issue I think that you are raising because I think that's where polarization is most problematic because there are sometimes that we all naturally gravitate towards different sides in some of these national debates. I don't think I think part of it's a matter of temperament. Yeah, I you know some of it's personality. Some of it may be the positions that are being held by the particular uh, tribe at that point in history. But it, mm-hmm. but your
1: your upbringing, what your parents taught your background, you know? all of these sorts yeah. of things
0: play a role. And so I think we should expect Catholics to be on different sides of a lot of political issues or have different general approaches to politics. That part's not surprising. It's, it's though when you so align yourself with one side that you just reject anything from the other side and then deny aspects of your own faith that are pretty clear. I'm not talking about like prudential judgments, but some things that are like pretty obvious. I think that's when it's a real problem in the church for sure. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to point out. Another comment, though, we all mentioned the thing about the bishops, uh, the USCCB. One of my ideas might not be very popular. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Here it comes. I actually think that the staff at the U.S. Bishops Conference is a model for (laughs) for how the church should be on this. Because I think we know, all of us who work with each other, and especially those of us who have worked here longer, we know different staffers who lean different ways. But most of us are friend are not only tolerate each other but like each other. A lot of, you know what I mean? Like yeah, we're friends with people for you. the most part.
1: Yeah. No. I like have friends we that
0: are on different who see things differently than I do. You hear good debate sometimes because mm-hmm. because people, you know, really know their stuff. But I think that most of us here, my experience at least, has been that most people are willing to recognize where some of the the sides they take on issues is just their personal private judgment and that they have to put some of those things aside sometimes mm-hmm. for the sake of serving the church as a whole. And I think that that's actually, there's a certain virtue there. I mean, there's a certain asceticism, a certain kind of discipline you have to have with yourself that I actually think that is, you could propose...
1: So are you suggesting we should pay people to be open minded?
0: <laughs> I think that we should hold up the bureaucrat saint as 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 like the as a possible um, model for how to get through the, the
2: culture here shapes the kind of the individual's, you know, take or approach, I think, to politics and other issues that could otherwise be contentious out into the world. I mean, there is a kind of culture here, I think, that feeds into this kind of what you're talking about. But I think it also points to something else, is that, I mean, there's a couple of things, but I mean, the church is itself not fundamentally a political institution. You know, I mean, that politics is sort of a derivative, I think, in some ways, of what the church is, that it's, you know, the church is prior to, you know, political debate. In some ways, it's prior to kind of the politicization. I mean, the problem is that everything's been, so many things in life has been politicized. Mm -hmm. And so it falls back into these kind of political kind of dimensions, and that when it falls into that dimension, it becomes much more difficult to cross the divide. I mean, because the thing with polarization, to use another sort of way to approach it rather than a kind of the physics example that you gave with magnets, is that it's a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when issues of politics become zero-sum, it becomes very difficult to actually move beyond kind of those political disagreements into some sort of shared platform of kind of dealing with things. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is, seems to be coming zero. So they talk about immigration, you know, and references to this kind of invading hordes, you know, of people from the sou- across the southwest border and the militarization of the kind of the debate or the pro-life movement when it's like abortions. It, you know, I mean, it becomes very kind of difficult to actually even discuss things. And I don't know how you overcome some of this stuff because some well, of the stuff is zero sum-ish in a way, but yeah, not but everything. That,
1: that's actually a strategy of some people who are out there to promote their agenda or whatever is to point out, to make people who think differently as, you know, oh, they're stuck in this way of thinking and but it, the pointing fingers, which actually entrenches the polarization. And uh, so I think... I think looking out for that, being aware of that, being aware of a message you're receiving, like who's sending it and why? Could there be other motives? Are they trying to raise money? Are they trying to get me, you know, activated in a certain way that I'm like I'm not comfortable with that? Or, you know, does this align with the faith? And just like 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 Jesus did, like he just refused to kind of get dragged down into it. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just like, of course, he was you know, all knowing and. Why you know God. I mean yeah. the you know. slight, the, slight he's the son of God he's <laughs> yeah the son of God you know <laughs> yeah is the son of God yeah but no just I mean I think like reflecting on like well what would what would Jesus do in this situation no but just like he didn't um, he didn't get dragged down into it
0: but sometimes he's kind of clever I mean in the way he he he, he kind of uses the polarization. Between the Sadducees and the Pharisees to sort of like extricate himself from from a bad <laughs> situation. Well, yeah, like right. Like he gets asked he, a tricky he question. Doesn't... He sort of poses a riddle back to them. Right. And it's <laughs> just in order to kind of like confound his opponents, you know. Yeah. So yeah. It, it reminds me of the whole exhortation to be wise as, as serpents but innocent as doves. It, that's difficult to know when it comes to politics, especially if you're trying to move if you're trying to move things in politics we're clear like like if we're talking about the pro-life issue and abortion and where in that case that is a zero-sum game in the in the sense of like whether or not abortion is going right. to be elite illegal or illegal good or bad or whether it should be yeah yeah, yeah. and so what what is to be a wise as a certain like to use politics actually to try to advance the ball? on those sorts of things. Like that seems to be very tricky. I'm not like, yeah, I'm no, just saying like, I'm just noting that part that uh, much that it's difficult to like engage in being in alliances with others, whatever the issue is, you are almost always gonna be involved in some kind of coalition. And so then that that kind of plays a part in this also. is right, like if we're, co- if we're in if we're in coalitions that sort of compete with each other, mm-hmm. um, that can put you in a difficult spot or, and puts, can put the church in a difficult spot in some yeah. ways, I think.
2: I think that one of the other problems, too, that, you know, just sort of brainstorming is that oftentimes when people, people have a certain position that they want to achieve, you know, and whatever political issue it is, it's sort of an all or nothing thing. You know, it's like you get that now or, you know, no half steps. But, you know, in politics, like football, not everything is a Hail Mary pass for a touchdown. Um, oftentimes, you have to run the ball five or six times to make it down the field, and so you get slow movement forward on something. And over time, that slow movement forward is actually leads to greater and greater success in retrospect. And I, you know, I think that I mean, sort of feeding into this coalition thing, and kind of there has to be a kind of practicality, particularly in an electoral system like we have. Uh, where you're not going to get everything you want right yeah. off the bat.
1: That's super hard, though, because then uh, you get into the dirty seaward oh, compromise, know. right? And there are so many people who think that, well, no, we can't compromise on, you know. I mean, I, I'm in the pro-life yeah. office, so abortion, yeah. you know.
0: And I think another
2: – I don't want to switch topics. I don't know if you have
0: anything more to say on that. but No, it's just you bringing up the running the ball, mm-hmm. running to set up the pass. Oh, you're football. thinking about <laughs>
1: switching your brackets again, aren't you, in, <laughs> no, uh, no, March that's... Madness? No, no. <laughs> well, I mean
0: – it, it not about the basketball, but it did just remind me of like th- there were times in, in my college's football season this past year where our running game didn't look like it was doing very well. And yet it was clear that w- that our coach was persisting in running even when it didn't work simply to keep the defense honest to set up, you know, longer pass plays later on. And, and it would work. And there is a sense in which that works and I think in politics too. Except I think people expect short-term victory or expect a first down on every play. Mm-hmm. They're not happy with a two-yard run. That it doesn't seem like it's getting you very close to a first down. But the whole point of that was to keep. That played a role in a bigger in the bigger picture.
2: Yeah. I also wonder whether or not these kind of differences and if we're talking about polarization rather than just political conflict and disagreement you know that there's actually more fundamental kind of issues that need to be addressed it's almost like paradigms you know the way in which kind of the left or the right to simplify things you know actually view kind of have different visions of the human person you know what is the human person in light of you know his relationship to the world her relationship to the divine you know to god um, you know, what are the sociological kind of pre-supp- presuppositions and assumptions that people bring to the debates? Because I think these are really kind of the political positions that one takes, and the absolutist nature that they can be take can be taken on some of these issues is really an outgrowth of these more fundamental questions. I mean, that's really, I think, where the church can play a role, potentially. Although, See, that's
0: where I'm a little bit, I get a little more concerned, yeah. though. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've told you all this other times that, like, sometimes it just seems to me like... Christians, not just Catholics even, but just Christians in general who are from kind of different sides of these divides, I mean, live in completely yeah. different... I think sometimes it's we portray it as, okay, Catholics, to use left-right terms, like left Catholics want X, Y, Z, right Catholics want A, B, C. And if we could only find a way to get a good combination of A, B, C and X, Y, Z you know maybe we can bring them together but it's not just that i mean i think the two the groups their their liturgies are often very different the way they raise their children is different their whole devotional lives are spirituality is very different culturally they're it's different so it's not just a matter of a couple of policy positions no. um, and this is why this is why i mean appeals
2: i think the outcome of what you're saying is that appeals to catholic social teaching as a mechanism to address these issues won't work. I mean, because Catholic social teaching will be taken in different ways or different elements will be emphasized. I mean, not at his initial thing, it's because the problem isn't intellectual, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Catholic social teaching, I also often think of kind of wrestling with moral questions intellectually, cashing things out. But I think even more that Maybe what the problem is, you know, is that there's sort of no shared narratives, really, which sort of result in a very different kind of take on political and social life and personal life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, more of an appeal to literature and to art and to these sorts of things
1: well, are, I I are a more effective yeah, mechanism to actually approach we, it. We don't really have
2: an office on literature and art.
1: Well, no, you're. it's <laughs> a good point because, I mean, and all of these things are fine to have different types of liturgy and that parents are raising their children a little bit differently. And that's, fi- you know, all these things are fine, but you're saying it's, these are challenges to bringing people together. And yeah, it's, it's more of that. So you're suggesting a, a bringing people together through a cultural, yeah. a common cultural uh, addressing narrative. Narr- and addressing, or- and
2: addressing competing narratives. How do different Catholics sort of construct narratives for their lives and their relationship to the church and their relationship to God? through art and literature and through other kind of cultural kind of mechanisms and through that kind of analysis, then you're never gonna probably have some sort of a master narrative that is just sort mm-hmm. of you know takes over. Although there is a kind of a master narrative obviously within Christian life, but th- you know, that will be sort of accepted. But how do you kind of use these competing narratives to
0: shape something that may be a little bit more integrated? Mm-hmm. Here, here's like one of the things that I have thought about with the literature it seems like all Catholics like Flannery O'Connor. Mm-hmm. They all like Brideshead Revisited, right?
2: Never read it. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> Guess I should.
1: Tried to, put it yeah. down. <laughs> it seems
2: like from whether they,
0: whether they are, I mean, all the, like, spanning the whole gamut, like, pretty far left, Catholics I've seen praise Brideshead. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then, whereas even, like, very reactionaries often like it. And I've often wondered... What do they all see in it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) What is it that they they all like? like, They see that so in the research that we've done over the past five, ten years, tribal like broad term of tribalism, they see Catholic tribe pride in just the capital C Catholic or right? It's like we all have these common moments that we share. First Communion, you know, Confirmation, Sunday Mass, Easter. We all get upset when people only come to church at Easter, steal our seats in the pew, whatever, you know, but we should be happy they're there. Like we share all these things in common. And so uniting around all of, you know, that I think that's what people are drawn to. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the glory, hey, the glory and praise hymnal, whether you liked it or not, everybody knows, you know, I will lit, you know. eat on eagle's wings. Right. Oh, oh, I mean, gosh. no more for me. Please. <laughs> <laughs> no. but, but I, I mean, I, I wonder with
0: Bride's Head specifically if it's because and I've only read it once. So I, I don't know the story real, real well, except that, you know, you got one character who's kind of what you might have called in a in a former era, you might have called it called him a bad Catholic like he constantly falls back into into these different to mortal sin um, kind of falls away from the faith in some ways and yet he's also he's also clearly being portrayed as a holy person in a way that's like the way he's portrayed is something I think you only see in Catholic literature we'll just put it that way like he's not seen as as a morally upright character he but he's still seen as holy and I don't know if if that's like some Catholics are attracted to that, whereas sort of the whole I mean, the whole family that it centers around is like aristocratic. And so you have those kind of aristocratic virtues are on display throughout the the story. And if that's what the right likes. And I do, I have wondered, could a at one of these polarization events that often pops up at different universities, whether it's Catholic University or Georgetown, Georgetown or Notre Notre Dame, like oh, they, they always right, host these right, events. Right, yeah. I, I've wondered if that would be a, a good panel discussion to get a couple of people from different sides to talk about why, just personally, why that book speaks to them. Because I've seen publicly people mm-hmm. who are pretty far on their respective sides say that that's this really meaningful story for them. Mm-hmm. And then how is it that then these different things come together in the story? You know, is that a way, does that give us a, a way forward thinking of how we would come together together? Um, Flannery O'Connor is a different, you know. I mean, yeah. that's a different thing. genre, sort yeah. of. Like but there
1: is a sense in which, you know, I love old, you know, from you know 15th century, like Renaissance art and mm-hmm. just and sculpture. Like, man, the church, man, we had, we were doing it right for mm-hmm. centuries, right? And there's a real <laughs> lack of like
2: art, of Christian art, art. like real it's and like
1: literature junky and junky cinema.
2: That sort of Christian that is oh, very, Films, cause films oh, are terrible most christian films mm, are awful yeah
0: don't um yeah. yeah i mean i think to move towards a close i do wonder like just on a very practical kind of personal level if one way to kind of i do not say deal with the issue but at least like to think about it is to kind of go back to what we started with talking about confession to consider this the ways that the church is hurt when we are rejecting our co-religionists i mean that's i mean that's part of it is like what, no matter how much you disagree with them if they're baptized they're still part of the body of christ also
1: by co-religionists you mean fellow catholics fellow catholics yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. and you know when we when we treat or 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 view the fellow baptized catholics as somehow the enemy mm-hmm. then granted i mean there are there really is Heresy and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not just like there are so limits, there are parameters. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not like adv- I'm not trying to advocate for just sort of a mindless like let's just all like let bygones be bygones or something. But mm-hmm. I'm saying like in the your examination of conscience, I think that it's important to, to ask like how am I building up the body of Christ? Are, are the things that I'm doing mm-hmm. building the building up the body of Christ and edifying the body of Christ, or am I holding on to, to these different to grudges or am I being uncharitable? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. And granted, sometimes sharp, sharp words, rebukes and I'm not saying like, like those at things at aren't, are out of the question. Yeah. but it's more of in your in, in our interior lives what is motivating us when we when we do these things? And are some of these things just pointless? And should we come to terms with the fact that some of the things that we post on Twitter, for example, are more just about our own vanity that like we're just sort of trying to build up our follower account Mm -hmm. and we're dressing it up like saying, oh, I mean, we we sort of deceive ourselves and acting like we're doing some anything positive. The only point of it is to it's ego it's yeah it's just yeah. to build up my ego it's narcissistic a so lot of-
2: get off Twitter
0: basically <laughs> well, I'm, not saying that. I'm just saying we have to be honest with follow ourselves. at USCCB freedom though but you know <laughs> I'm just saying like we have to be honest with ourselves I mean that's what I think some examining your conscience yeah. is part of what it's about is like it's so easy to say well I have a good reason for doing that or whenever I said that you know I wasn't being prideful or mm-hmm. whatever I was I was defending the truth. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Sure. And to be honest with oneself, I think, is part of it.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, I guess, in closing comments. uh, Yeah, last words. Yeah. Last Last words. Last Last words around. My my last Uh words. Uh, You know, I mean, I think that the work of the church is really the long term. It's not the short term. Um, And as important as our advocacy work is on a day-to-day basis, because if we don't advocate for our interests, our, our opponents will advocate against us. And just mm-hmm. given the system that we have, you have to be active in that field. But more importantly, is shaping a culture, you know, in the long term, that's going to make the world more representative of the way in which, you know, the church sees the world as it ought to be and, mm-hmm. you know, through its vision of Christ and God. And and that really requires that we, number one, do what we can to depoliticize life. Because I think the politicization of everything really works against this long-term view because it makes animus kind of the centerpiece of human relations mm-hmm. and this kind of win-or-lose, zero-sum game. And secondly, it's important that um, I think that the church turns more toward issues you know, related to, as I, we talked about earlier, art and literature and sort of culture-forming phenomenon that may not have an effect in the foreseeable future. But that can, over decades, really begin to reshape the way in which we engage the world and the way in which the influence that Catholics exercise over it.
0: Mm-hmm. Close us out,
2: Mary.
1: All right. So, well, I'll just close us out with saying... Uh,
0: Get to confession. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: report on whether I was uh, received absolution in the next episode of the podcast. No. Um, you know, something my husband always says to me is, uh, remember, Mary, <laughs> and he says this in a loving way, you have two ears and one mouth right yeah, right, sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Right. Yeah. right. no but but the importance of I just went to a little mini retreat on <clears throat> silence and the importance of listening to other people and being open to other people's opinions I think is wonderful in the in the Gospels the Lord is silent right throughout mm-hmm. most of his life right we don't hear from him until he's uh you know the last three years of his life right and and Saint Joseph we just celebrated the feast of Saint Joseph he was is seen to be silent so i think it just speaks to the importance of listening listening to other people being open to their mindsets and uh trying to imitate christ in all we do
0: good thoughts and go to confession all right it's lent i'm on my way okay oh and i'm not tell- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm well, telling you i'm going anyway. listeners okay. so- <laughs> oh yeah i think you oh you you're gonna be pushing it yeah so- i'm
2: gonna be pushing it okay. so, so this all afternoon right. they have it too don't
0: they yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like yeah. one yeah. o'clock or one to yeah.
2: three or two to three or something like that right. or whatever
0: all right way. thank you so much for joining us this is Aaron Matthew Weldon
1: and Mary McCluskey
0: thanks for joining us on
1: the first freedom <laughs>
0: podcast <laughs>